Hi everyone, welcome to Talk Racing to Me with Naomi, show 61. And well, my guest hardly needs an introduction. Track announcer, creator of the Beamy Awards, social media sensation, Jason Beam decided to join me this lovely evening. Look, I had a script, I had all my questions, but you know what? We ended up talking about such a vast range of topics, well worth the listening, from handicapping, from betting, from overcoming anxiety, to Jason's uh, career, the way it's progressed, how he's finding uh, calling at Tampa Bay Downs now. It was truly my pleasure to get the chance to chat with him. Also, we, we went over a couple of uh, racing conspiracy theories too. So stay tuned if you want to hear what we came up with and what we were into. I promise you, you will not be bored for the next hour and a half. Without further ado, chase and beam, everyone. It was about time. Uh, I got you on my podcast, Jason. Uh, you had me on yours a, a while ago. I'm glad you have, you've agreed to join me. We've finally overcome our little technical difficulties. You think that two, you know, people that podcast and well, you've have a, done a lot more episodes than I have, kind of know by now what the trick is to you know seamless recording, but clearly we haven't figured it out just yet. We are uh, we're all at the the whim of technology, and it's it's amazing how. Like I, I had a power outage back home over the winter, and you don't you like you realize how necessary power and technology are to just our everyday lives at this point, including our our work. I mean, uh, no internet or internet troubles equal podcast problems. Oh, and internet troubles also means you can't get the form or you can't look at replays, and and all of a sudden everything kind of stops, right? Yeah. So it sounds kind of sounds like a bit of a break, doesn't it? it sounds <laughs> sounds like we'd all be sitting there reading books. Yeah, you know, it's funny. I I haven't been in a uh, a reading frame of mind. I've just been very busy, and I finally, when I got settled in down here in Florida, I actually uh, I've read two books since I've been down here. It's been nice. I, I feel like I go in reading spurts. Like I'll read for a lot, or uh, read several books in a row, and then I won't for three or four months. Wait, what what are you reading? Actually, um, I was reading just now. I use it to I don't know zone out a little yeah. bit. You know how you, you want to take a break from everything that's normally going on in your life. Not that mm -hmm. I don't enjoy my life. I do, but it's great to kind of put yourself in someone else's shoes for a little bit to give you perspective and then you, you come back. Well, what are you reading? I like to normally read a lot of like literary fiction type stuff, uh, but I, I got a book from a friend. It was about uh, the Seattle Mariners baseball team. <laughs> and so I, it was, uh, it's very, it's just like a tale of short stories from the, uh, the 40 years of Seattle Mariners baseball. And so it's, it's been fun. Just, it's very light and uh, you know, the team of my childhood. So I'm kind of enjoying it. Oh, I love that. A little bit of nostalgia exactly. there as well. I, I read I read just any, like I read so many different things. I go from autobiographies to older books. I actually just finished reading. I don't know if you know this. Apparently it's an American staple, an American classic. It was written in the 1960s, I believe, On the Road by Jack yeah, Kerouac. Kerouac. Yeah. yeah, I just finished reading that. I have, I have mixed, mixed feelings about this yeah. book. <laughs> it's funny how you know, literature obviously has this extensive long history, right? And a lot of the classics are very, very old, but I'm always interested in how much, how things age with art because, you know, music, comedy, they, especially comedy. I was talking to a friend about this recently. Like they're so generational. Like I'll hear stuff from the seventies who people talk about like, this is the best comedian ever. And then I'm like, eh, it's all right. And sometimes it's like that. I feel like with, with novels, I know, I know that a lot of the classics hold up and stuff, but 
like I think times and people and feelings they just change over time. Yeah, I when I was reading up about this book, it was saying it changed a lot of sort of writing styles and the way people looked at certain concepts, such as you know being on the road and, yeah. and deeper sort of philosophy, philosophy, philosoph. Oh, I can't even say this philosophy concept. Yes, that's what I was looking for. This is going great. No, I, I think it was it changed the way people looked at certain aspects and it was mm -hmm. quite groundbreaking. Whereas if you now look back at it, we're kind of used to certain ways of living or looking at things and, and find it a lot more common that people would like to travel or seek adventure or question the meaning of life because that's kind of a lot what they did in that book as well. So I feel like you're right that they, you know, times change and hence people's perception towards or reception of a book yeah. changes as well. I thought it was good. I thought some of the writing was incredible, but then on some other page, I'm like, what are you on about? Like, I don't even know what you're saying anymore. <laughs> so I, I was just a little bit mixed. Some of it I thought was genius and some of it felt like rambling. So there you go. I better move on before I get angry people knocking on my door going, how dare you bash that book? I thought it was good, but let, let's let's dive into the horse racing and perhaps a little bit more about your background and your career background. Trust me, I've got plenty of actually really good, fun questions to ask okay. you. I had some help. Ha 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 ha! Don't be scared; it's going to be great. So let's talk about the fact that you've recently uh, started a new gig at Tampa mm -hmm. Bay Downs. Uh, how long have you been calling there now for, and how have you settled in thus far? Well, technically, I've been calling here since June 30th, but uh, if we're talking about the, the bulk of the, the big winter meet, uh, I've been calling for about 72 hours as we're speaking on Friday. Um, it, it's, it's funny because it's been, it's been six months since I got hired, and I came down and they, they have this weird law in Florida, like you have to get simulcasting year-round, you have to run June 30th and July 1st, like Gulfstream does it as well. Why? And it's just some old simulcast law. I've always just, every time I've kind of really asked about it, everybody's like, it's just this weird law that exists. Because uh, I think what it really is, is it's the start of the fiscal year and the end of the fiscal year. The year ends on June 30th and starts July okay. 1st. And so it actually, our winter meet technically started on July 1st. So Sammy Camacho came into opening day Wednesday, opening day in air quotes, uh, with three wins already. So, um, but you know, I, I got the job back in May and in fact, they offered me the job. This is this is a funny story. Uh, you know, Richard retired on I think it was the day after Kentucky Derby, and he had announced his retirement uh, a month or so before that. And so, you know, I waited a couple of days and called to ask about you know where we need to turn in our materials to apply and did all that. And not too far after their season ended, you know, I, they called and said they wanted to interview me, which was obviously exciting. And did the interview, and they uh, they offered me the job on my birthday. I was uh, I was taking a morning walk on my birthday when Margot called offered me the job, and so. Uh, but it feels like I mean, six months is a long time, right, to get a job and really not start until this last Wednesday. So it uh, it felt like this long build up to to finally get to come down here and uh, and start working. Well, now uh, two two relatable facts. Here. One, my birthday is this Sunday, so I'm kind oh, of you yeah. know got high hopes for what what happens on my birthday now. Uh, <laughs> no, and the other one, when you're mentioning six months in between, um, I had something similar, but I had to wait for a visa, so I got mm -hmm. the job with the Maryland Jockey Club. I think it was must have been around like October, September time of 2019, and I didn't start till February of 2020, mm -hmm. um, based on the visa process as well. So I, I guess. You know, you had some time to prepare, right? That's how I looked at it. Plenty well, of time to prepare. It's funny because the I was so glad because when they when she offered me the job, you know, I said, uh, 
you know, I don't know when you guys want to announce this. You know, I know we got to usually sit on it for a little while. She's like, no, we're going to announce it at the end of the week. And I was like, oh, great. Because when I had gotten the Monmouth fill in in 2019, which was kind of a bit of my restart with announcing, um, Frank Miramati had, you know, said, hey, call these guys. And, you know, this was like turn of the new year kind of thing. And I interviewed with them and they offered me the position in like early February and didn't announce it till the end of April. So I had to keep a lid on it. <laughs> <laughs> until for like no. two and a half months and it was such exciting you know i was so excited because it was kind of my first job announcing back after a few years of not doing it and uh so that's why when, when margo said yeah we're gonna announce it at the end of the week i was like oh thank goodness because i'm i cannot keep my mouth shut <laughs> you, you're very much alike if you have good yeah. news you want to share it right 100 percent, yeah i mean that's incredible T tell me a little bit about you were saying your your restart you had mm -hmm. somewhat of a break how, how did that come about and you know, were you excited to get back or what was that like for you? I was, uh, I, I, I had gone to Louisiana Downs in 2015 and uh, I, you know, I'd already been announcing for almost 10 years at that point. I started in 06. I mean, in fact, uh, fun fact, me and Travis Stone started two weeks apart. So we always joke that we're the uh, class of 2006 announcers, but, um, yeah, I went to Louisiana Downs actually was, was replacing Travis there. Cause he had moved on to, uh, to Churchill and, um, I, you know, I, I've, I had a lot of struggles as a younger person with anxiety disorder and panic attacks. And, uh, and that kind of just started manifesting itself again. I had been doing pretty good the year or two before that at Portland. And so I thought I was kind of ready to go back out on the road and, and I wasn't. And so, uh, I, I quit Louisiana Downs and moved home and kind of thought I was done with announcing. I mean, the 2015, 16, 17, and into 18 were great struggles for me with my mental health and I had, uh, you know, gotten really agoraphobic. I didn't leave the house a whole lot. And I, I started my podcast with Bet America at the time and now Churchill. And that kind of allowed me to uh, stay at home and work. And so I could subsist, but it kind of enabled my agoraphobia a little bit. And um, I, uh, I started working my way out of that a little bit, just exercising more. And really just honestly, I just got so tired of feeling bad and, you know, just mm -hmm. not fulfilling. You know, I, I think... Uh, at a certain point, like the regret of not fulfilling my, my goals and dreams and stuff just got worse than the anxiety. <laughs> and so, uh, you know, I, I literally started, I, I started going to the mall for like five minutes. It's a technique called exposure therapy. Like you just expose yourself to the things that trigger your anxiety. And so I mm -hmm. started going yep. to, you know, crowds for me were a real struggle and, um, and heights. I don't were a think real most struggle. people like crowds, but obviously it's very different yeah. for you in that reasoning. But yes. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, this was like, you know, if I, I, I wouldn't go anywhere. I mean, I literally okay. would go home and I'd go to the grocery store at night. I would often, uh, I would often ride in the, the, the carts, like the scooter carts. Cause if I had to stand in line, my legs would give out and I'd have a panic attack and I'd leave. And so, uh, it was just a really oh, wow. bad few years. And, but I, I kind of started working through that a little bit. And like I said, just starting out really super easy. I mean, super small stuff, you know, five minutes in the mall and then 10 minutes and then work my way up to like going to the space needle, which, you know, I never thought I would do again. And, uh, I hadn't flown in like 20 years and I flew in an airplane. And so I, I was kind of doing all this stuff and feeling better. Yeah. 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 It was 2018 was such an amazing year for me. Like I just, I, I felt like I was getting my life back. And as that was happening, uh, Pete Aiello called me or actually sent me a message on Twitter, but he asked if I wanted to come uh, announce at Gulfstream Park West. And it had been, I want to say it had been about three, it, it was May of 2015 when I left Louisiana and it was, that was November of 2018 when Pete asked me to come down there. So, um, you know, three and a half years of, of not calling races and really not doing anything other than my podcast and, you know, staying home. 
And so I, I, my mantra was, I have to say yes to things. And so I uh, said yes and, and went and did that for two weeks and it went really well. I thought at the time it was just a, it was my way of ending my announcing career on my terms instead of anxiety's mm-hmm. terms, like had kind of the last time. And uh, as soon as I finished, like the, Frank called about the Monmouth thing like a month later. And then Jill called like two weeks later about Colonia, like the phone just started ringing once the, the two weeks happened. I really love that kind of sentiment that you're saying, I wanted to finish, you know, my announcing career on my terms. But in the yep. end, it wasn't a closing at all. It was more like a restart, a, a re-break, yep. like we call it, a, a beautiful <laughs> second wind that you created yourself by, by, you know, allowing yourself to perhaps move through what you were going through. Uh, first question that comes to mind, Donna, I hope I, I know that you've talked about this a little bit. Um, mm-hmm. I have a background when it comes to psychology as well, because I had really a lot of anxiety growing up too. And, and I've worked through it. Did you, do you work through this with anyone or were there exercises that you did? Because this sounds like something incredibly challenging to have to navigate by yourself. Yeah. So the truth is I worked through it by myself in 2018, but I had probably 12 years of therapy and group work and hospitalizations and read every book under the sun about anxiety, panic, agoraphobia, depression, all of it. And What's strange is it just seemed to click a little more later on. I don't know why, because I knew all the, you know, I knew all the breathing techniques. I knew, you know, mm-hmm. all of the, all of the processes you have to do. I, I've told the story before, but it's, I, I, it was such a turning point for me. It was a, it was a cartoon in a book called the anxiety and phobia workbook. And it shows a person walking kind of on a desert road and they get to a T in the road and there's all these signs that just say, stop, don't enter anxiety, depression, panic. And the next scene shows the person walking through with all the signs just in its backpack, like literally just picked them up out of the ground and put it in the backpack. And for some reason, that was the thing that I, that like clicked with me in 2018 was realizing that I'm always going to be anxious. That's never going to stop. You know, I called the races at Tampa Bay Downs four hours ago and I was nervous. And, and I had moments of anxiety throughout the day, but I also know that it's not going to hurt me. It's not going to kill me. Mm. I'm not in any danger. It's just my body reacting a little bit more than maybe the normal person's does. Um, and as soon as I could, that clicked with me that like, okay, I'm going to go to a basketball game and I'm going to be nervous. There's a lot of people around or whatever, but if I just sit there, it's going to go away. And as soon as I started trusting that it, it kind of started happening. And so, um, it's funny because I, I did not see a ton of benefit to the therapy at the time. Mm -hmm. There was, there was pockets of it where I did, but I still struggled with it all throughout that. And I had a great therapist who I I love dearly. And, you know, I email her every few months and just kind of give her an update and all that kind of stuff. But it was, um, it's funny. It just, it didn't click until I guess it was ready to click in a, in a weird way. I guess sometimes that, and and that kind of goes along with, I think what I was talking about, like, you kind of just have to accept what is and, you know, and with mental health stuff, I always say like, this was my experience. I know it's not some people, it never clicks and it's just, you know, it's, it's heartbreaking to see when that's not the case. I think it's, it's a timeline that's possibly different for everyone, right? That we all move at at our own pace. And I think it's really good to try and and find professional help because I, I I like telling people that it's not about, you know, there's something wrong with you. It's about mm-hmm. helping you navigate what is going on in your life or in your mind and hence making you more, you know, more capable of dealing with this, the, the yeah. feelings, the emotions, the thoughts, as well as the situations. And I thought that, that's a really cool example that you're saying 
you still get nervous calling races. I'm assuming that means perhaps nearly every race, would you still kind of get, you know, I don't know what, 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 yeah. what goes through your mind. Cause I know what happens yeah. with me when I get nervous, my heart mm-hmm. rate starts going up. So for yep. example, doing draws, yeah. I read, we don't do draws often, right? Maryland million Preakness. Mm-hmm. I get so nervous because I don't do them that often. So my heart starts going really fast. And then all of a sudden, instead of being very fluent and capable of speaking English, which clearly I'm very capable of doing, mm-hmm. I, it feels like I start mumbling, right? I don't really, but sometimes I stutter a little bit. And probably if you know me well, you could then tell that I'm nervous because I tend to not really stutter that much on TV when I'm comfortable. But like mm-hmm. everything just kind of goes like, in overdrive and then yep. it feels like you're not you know you're not really helping yourself and i know for me you know i, I try to breathe and i try to be like hey it's okay you are yep. very capable of doing this but what what happens to you when you call a race like, what, that, what's going that, through your mind that happens usually a couple times a day where during a race i'll have you know just it's hard to explain like the general sensations of anxiety because you know there's the obvious ones about the heart rate and stuff like that but sometimes it's just a feeling of something's wrong and mm-hmm. I just immediately go into nothing's wrong. You're fine. <laughs> like you're just not, you're, you're not in any danger. Cause I've had, you know, you get a little lightheaded, you're talking a lot, you're obviously expelling a lot of oxygen. And so, you know, you're going to have, and, and you're, you're heightened, right? Like there's, there's a known pressure. So you're going to have physiological changes and where, what I, where I used to go with that is like, not only am I in danger, but I'm going to die right here calling this race and I don't want that to happen. And then the next thing you know, now all of your cortisol and adrenaline and everything are going all over and out of whack. And so, uh, but I have that still, I mean, like I said, multiple times a day, there'll be something where uh, there was a, in fact, there was a turf race. It would have been, I think the seventh race on on Friday, like going into the first turn, like I just kind of had that little twinge of like, oh man, something something feel, doesn't feel right. And I'm kind of battling a cold too. So I know I'm just in general, not feeling mm-hmm. great. And so, but it, it was the same thing, like on the first turn, like, and I just, I took off my binoculars for a second. I called the last horse. I took a little bit longer than normal pause and just caught a little breath and then went right back into my glasses. And I'm like, see, I'm fine. And it, it's like I said, it's, it's a lot less than it used to be, but I mean, I'm, I'm certainly still getting nervous for every race. And I think one thing that helps as a race caller is, uh, as opposed to doing a draw or TV, nobody's looking at me. And so I can, yeah, cause okay, I, yeah. I, I don't, I don't actually, I, I usually don't have a lot of guests in the booth. It's, it's just because, because of that reason, like I just get too nervous and, um, you know, it's, I'll, if I, you know, if my mom's at the track or a friend's at the track, I'll have them up and I, I'll occasionally have a guest if it's someone I'm comfortable with. But, um, to me, that's like a big part of that. Cause like I will, you know, one of my go-to tricks is called the dive reflex. Like you take a piece of ice or a cold water and you just pour a little on your neck and that kind of triggers this almost opposite of adrenaline withdrawal. Like it just really sends relaxation through your body. And so if there is a hundred thousand or more dollar race that I'm about to call, there's a 100% chance I just dunked water on the back of my no. neck before the race. Wait, every, hold on. I don't think I can time. do that on live television. Wait, every, hold on guys. Let me no. just, <laughs> wow. And it's funny. Cause when I've had guests before, I, I like, I'll go to do that. Like, as I just have a little squirt bottle and it's, like I said, it's, it's, kind of ridiculous if you you know if you don't preface like hey you know this is just a little thing i do and uh, i'm sure it sounds ridiculous to some of your listeners right now but it it, it it's a, it's just kind of a resetting calming thing for me and uh it was something i was taught in therapy oddly enough uh that is a uh, to me a good like i just need a quick relaxation let's let's do that that i mean pff, I, I like it anything <laughs> that helps you like for me um that it's, it's a bit of a long story i'll, I'll tell the really short yep. version uh, one of the ladies I work with, I've had 
two therapists in my entire life that I've worked with. One of them was in the Netherlands when I was 16, 17, because I was struggling with anxiety so much that I didn't want to take tests at school. Because if I was in the test five minutes in, my brain was just going blank and it felt like I didn't know anything. And it was kind of like a reinforcement of, see, you don't know anything. What do you know? You know, you're not, you're not smart. You don't belong here. Why are you even here? Kind of thing. So she helped me get through that with like a little technique that you have your thumb and your middle finger, you put it together. But the reason it works is because you pair it with a really strong, happy memory. Mm-hmm. And it always has to be the same memory. And my memory was, so I used to have a mare called Unique. And I used to go either riding or walking her in the forest, you know, just basically like a 16-year-old playing around with with my pony. And I think one day I was walking her and I had just a head collar and, and a rope, right? And she's this cross between a thoroughbred and an Arab. So she's feisty and she's she's chestnut as well. I was going to say junior chestnut. And she was like the six-year-old mare and she, you know, she had a mind of her own. And we were in the middle of the forest and I'm like, you know what? I want to go and just ride some bareback. I used to ride bareback quite a lot. So I jump on her. I don't like, I can't do that anymore, by the way. That was so great. I was able to, she was like 15 hands and I'm like, whoop, like the jockeys do, you know, <laughs> with no, no hat on, no saddle, a head collar with a single rope on this chestnut, Anglo-Arab feisty mare that could do whatever she wanted if she wanted to. And instead, we just cantered up this hill. I made some kind of, you know, sound, like I was just screaming with joy. And it just felt like everything was good in that moment. Like I was in control. I was one with my my horse. Everything was perfect. You know, if there's such a close thing as being perfect, in the middle of nowhere, in a forest, nobody around. So I guess you were saying the crowds, like I, I liked being alone with my horse mm-hmm. and, and seeing nobody. That memory always manages to bring me back to like a bit more of a calmer, confident state that you kind of need, right? When you're live calling or on TV, you have to have this sense of, I belong here. I'm yeah. doing a good job. And that that helps me. So yeah, if anyone ever sees me close my eyes really briefly, that's probably <laughs> what I'm thinking of. It's funny because it's it's almost it's it, I would argue that it's about the exact same thing as I do with the water. It's a reset. It's mm-hmm. a quick yeah. inter, it's an interruption of your thought pattern to to just kind of start over again. And the thing is, is it's it's I don't think that it's a natural thing to be in front of people and public speak. Um, you know, they they always say like, what are the people's two biggest fears? Are public speaking and death, right? And so, but people see you on TV, so they just kind of assume like, well, she's doing it, she, you know, and she's doing a great job broadcasting. This is someone who's confident and who shouldn't be nervous at all, right? Like she's up there doing it. Uh, when in reality, you're just like every other person. If they were on camera, they'd be kind of nervous. And I think we all compare ourselves to people who we think aren't nervous. Like, you know, I see Larry Colmus or Travis Stone and I'm like, these guys just got ice water in their veins. And then I'll talk to Larry and he's like, God, I was so nervous before this big race. And I'm like, oh, really? Mm-hmm. Larry Colmus. You know, and, and you wouldn't expect it, right? People that are so good yeah. at what they do, you think that it comes natural to them when in real- reality, they there might be a lot going on in their heads and they're trying to, you know, do the best they can under those circumstances and help yeah. them. So I think the reason I like doing on air live tv is because it it keeps reminding me of how far i've come with my anxiety 100 percent. i think and that sounds really odd right like how far can i push this how far can i you know how far can i go whilst continuing to manage what goes on inside my Mm -hmm. head or how my body reacts like you said you know heart palpations or you're drawing quite sharp breaths and perhaps that's what you you you're doing too right after those years being at home slowly and now you're moving further and further in 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 quite an amazing fashion really 
No, it's uh, everything since then definitely feels like each little job and each, you know, meet has just kind of felt like a win. And, um, and you know, the opportunities are great, of course, the money's great and all that kind of stuff. But in the end, like what I, what makes me feel good about everything is just that, like you said, it's, it's a, it's, it's a little bit of a victory. It's getting my life. That's, that's what the biggest thing, like, I just, I did not want to die and I hate to be as literal, but I did not want to die without at least giving my dreams a shot. And it felt like I had, I used to think anxiety took it from me, but what I realized was it was me kind of giving into the anxiety instead of, um, I don't want to say fighting back, but, um, working through it. How about we'll say. Yeah, and I feel well from the outside looking in. Clearly, it it looks like you're doing a really good job. But I'm glad that you're, you know, I know that you've talked about this before. And mm-hmm. actually, wasn't my plan to start off with talking about <laughs> this? I guess we just kind of rolled into it, which is yeah. wonderful in a way. I, I mean, if I look at all my other questions now, these seem slightly trivial, don't they, compared <laughs> to what we've just discussed? Well, like, the, well, the Beamy well, Award started in 2014. Yeah, well, the, <laughs> oh, thank you. One of my questions. Oh, that's okay. No, never mind. You know, no, no. <laughs> I mean, literally things like, you know, what track was your favorite to call? Like, it just seems, it seems um, not as significant in comparison to what we've just discussed. But let's still dive into it because there are a couple of fun questions. And I feel like we've definitely, you know, set a set a good preface here. But perhaps we can, we, we'll, we'll move on with some lighter fare sprinkled in. In, in it's, meantime, it, can I interrupt you on one thing? It's funny because as someone who does a lot of interviews, usually you kind of create a roadmap, right? Like there's an occasional interview when I'll do it where I'm just going to really let it try to be a conversation and let it go wherever it goes. But for the most part, you kind of have a little bit of a roadmap, but mm-hmm. almost inevitably, especially in this more conversative, I don't know if that's a word, uh, kind of situation. Conversational. Like, yeah. It's like, it's going to ebb and flow and take different directions. And so it's, it's like this weird balance of staying on the road, but allowing to to curve off it. But uh, I, I feel like we're going to have fun with the fun stuff and it'll lead to good stuff anyway. So that's fine. I feel like I did the latter. I, I curved off the road. I did, definitely had a somewhat of a roadmap because I know what you mean. I like creating somewhat of a story with my questions uh-huh. when you're talking exactly. to someone. But I, I completely dived off course here because I thought it was much more interesting to just keep on discussing what we were, especially because we have a fair bit in common. When yeah. it comes to that, so all right, well, we'll get back on the uh, on the roadmap here, so to speak. You mentioned you had a cold, and I saw your um, Twitter post, your throat pasties, and I remember messaging you about them. You have to tell me, is this like a staple? When is it when you have a cold? You were saying that some of the other race callers use them as well. Um, as a broadcaster, oh, yeah. am I supposed to? Go and grab some now because I guess I'm not looking after my voice enough. Maybe. Well, it's funny. I never used. You know, we use Ricolas, cough drops, halls, whatever you want to call them. Um, I never really used them all that much until I started the podcast because then I was doing a lot of talking without breaks, right? Especially, you know, mm-hmm. if we do a show like a weekend recap show where it's just me. And that seems to make me more hoarse than calling the races because calling the races, it's just like it's spurts of a minute or minute and a half, right? And then you get a break. But I know a lot of guys that, that I mean, like I, I think I said Travis uh, mentioned his name earlier, like, you know, he's a Ricola guy and like you go up to his room and he's got like Amazon five pound bags in there. <laughs> and so uh, I don't think it's an every announcer thing. I just, for me, it's more about trying to prevent hoarseness than it is any kind of pain or discomfort because I don't feel a sore throat. I just want to make sure that it's uh, lubricated, I guess is the best word, just to avoid going hoarse. 
I mean, it, it makes sense, right? You're using yeah. your voice. That is the key to your career. You want to make sure it's, it's in, it's in, you know, good working order. What, what did you say? You were mentioning a couple of names. Also, how, how are you saying Ricola? So we say Ricola. <laughs> I just I, I I say Ricola, but it's I mean it's the old commercials right? Ricola, and they play the horn, right? Yeah, because well, it's it's Swiss, isn't it? Switzerland. I don't know. Ricola. Anyhow, you got a favorite, or is there a brand that we all need to be? I like I, I, I like I like Hall I like Halls a little better than Ricola. Ricolas are less strong tasting, but Halls like feel like it. Like it's got like menthol or something, so it feels a little different. But um, I have them all. I have Irish a good, up your I, throat. I, yeah, I have I have a good buffet uh, of uh, of throat drops upstairs. And... Oh gosh, well, well we'll know that when your voice voice starts going hoarse, that people need. To I got send one you sitting right bags. here. I got one oh, sitting okay. right here. I was like, yeah. people need to send you some gifts back, maybe sponsorship or something, right? You got you got the social media presence yeah. for it. Yeah, come on, halls, cut the check. <laughs> Yeah. Where have you been? All right, let's let's talk a little bit about more, you know, the fun stuff of, of mm-hmm. calling. You've called it a couple of different tracks. Is there anyone, any of the tracks that you prefer? I know that tracks are so vastly different in terms mm-hmm. of their layout and, and how you kind of work them and what you see in terms of trends, but I'm sure that you have one that means a little bit more than the others. They uh it's funny because they all mean something very different. Uh, in a weird way, like they're all kind of different parts of life. And, and as I said, you know, since the getting back into it, like they've all kind of been little markers of, of, of time, which I guess, you know, is probably the case for a lot of people's jobs. And, um, obviously Tampa right now is so special and new and exciting. And I mean, you know, we had big crowds both the first two days and the weather's just incredible. And so what I, I had a moment today where I really, I get a kick out of this every time I go to a track, especially like going to Monmouth and Colonial and now, and now Tampa, you know, these bigger tracks is when you look through the binoculars at the starting gate, when they're going to the gate, you see the big sign up there. You know, we've all seen the view because I'm right next to the cameraman. So it's a similar view, but it's a little different. And I just get a kick out of that every time. Like I today, I literally thought to myself, like, I could, I'm calling it Tampa Bay Downs. Like, this is so silly and amazing. Um but Tampa's very different because it's very low. It's a very low-profile grandstand, and so I'm only like 25 feet in the air, maybe. And that makes calling just different. It's not. It's not. It's. I, I guess it's a little harder because if they're stacked out across the track, you don't have that high elevation to see the outside horses as well. But it hasn't. At least so far, we've had some full fields, and it hasn't really proven to be uh, too much of an issue. But. Um, Monmouth was really special. I just had to Google oh, how, go how high 25 feet is. So oh, 7.6 okay. meter. Yeah, yeah that's meters. not very high at all. It's not. It's. I'm probably embellishing a little. It's probably like, well, maybe not. I mean, it's it's on the third floor. So it's that's not. It's low. It's very yeah. low. And in fact, during the job interview, that was one thing Margot asked. She's like, you know, have you called at a low profile? I said, well, let me tell you about Gulfstream Park West and the, the, the three trailers that I called out of because that's the lowest profile you ever. And it's so funny because like that place talking about tracks that are special, like that was my first place going back. Um, it was the last stop in 2019, which I did Monmouth colonial and meadowlands turf and then there and so that place is really special to me even though it was literally me calling in a tractor trailer <laughs> that was on top of two other trailers uh wow. and so it, so it's funny like like i said though so many of those tracks are, are kind of just markers but monmouth was special because it was kind of my first big track um and obviously the definition of, of what's big for people varies, but I got to call a grade one there. I got to call a grade two there. I got to call, I think, four or five grade threes. I think I got to call two grade twos, actually. And I got to call maximum security getting beat in the Pegasus, his first start after the Derby. Um, and so, like, to me, that and, and it's an open air booth. 
and they get good crowds and it's just like you feel the excitement there it's a beautiful track like that was that was a really special year getting to call races there because i called in the spring for two months and then in the fall for two months because frank was overlapped with santa anita and he was nice enough to ask me to do it and that was that was pretty special yeah i can imagine definitely the atmosphere i, I know on big days you know as a broadcaster it gives you some extra energy oh, yeah. like everyone being there wanting to have a good time adding to all of that uh, i remember when i was on the production crew with naira during the, the fox live shows at saratoga mm -hmm. the year that there were no fans yeah. and I wasn't on air back then. I was doing all the productions of, so, you know, script writing and doing interviews. It was great. But even then you just, there, it's something lacking, right? It, yeah. it misses. I mean, this is a sport and this is a, about excitement about the fans. They, they add something. I definitely, I think I'm not the only one to say this, that they are sorely missed when they aren't there. Oh, I mean, that, that's one of the cool things, that, you know, about Tampa, like Grants Pass is this fun little, you know, small track that I get to work at during the spring and fall. And on, you know, some nights when the weather's good, we get great little crowds there and they're right under me. So I really feel and hear them. But the last couple of days, you know, it was just super cold and rainy. And so there was barely anybody there. And so to get back down here and, you know, just have that live crowd feel again. And like, I, I looked down before the first race and I mean, every seat in the the area was full. Every the the whole rail was crowded. It was just really, really cool to see. I imagine. So, if there's any track that you could call out outside of the U.S., mm -hmm. which track would you love to call? I'm I'm not a huge international racing follower, so I don't have like a big. I I love the races from Maidan. I just think like I think the broadcast itself is cool. Uh, the angles that they show and the races there. So that would I guess be the one. But it I'm I'm very much a a U.S. racing follower, um, and so I, I really don't have a great answer for that. How about in the U.S. then? Um, I feel I mean it's going to sound really corny, but Tampa was like the job that I really really wanted. Like I don't I don't uh, I've never saw never seen myself like as a New York or California type race caller. I just don't, um, for whatever reason. And I think I'm qualified to do it, but I just, I, I, when the Tampa job opened, I thought to myself, I could not think of a job I would want more than that one. And, and it's the truth. I mean, even obviously it sounds like I'm, you know, pumping the company's tires since they hired me, but <laughs> I said, I said that to somebody before I got the job too. Cause it's just, it just seemed like the perfect kind of track that I want to be at a track that horse players love, uh, a track that's got good competitive racing, you know, being in Florida in the winter does not suck. At least the first week here, it's 75 degrees every day. Sounds uh, pretty balmy to me. Yeah. And so it was, uh, oh, I should have converted that to Celsius if we were doing the meters earlier, but, um, what is that 20, about 23, 24? 24, I think. Yeah. 24. Yeah. This is me I, guessing. I just have some kind of guessing sliding skill in my yeah. head and I hope for the best. There are, you know, little rules of thumb, but clearly I just don't, I just guess. <laughs> One of one of my one of my best friends is uh, is Canadian, and I always joke with her like I'm like, oh my gosh, it's 75 here, and she's like, that means nothing to me. <laughs> so I always well, she I always means nothing to... to nearly the entire world. But I, the US I know. And I know. Wait, which other? Isn't there one other country that also has Fahrenheit? <laughs> I have no one? idea. Maybe? We 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 hold on to a lot of uh, things here. Like I mean, even the mile stuff, right? Like you know, I, I, I same thing with with her. I've you know, I've said, oh, like it's 300 miles between these two places, and she's like, again, what does that mean? <laughs> I mean, it, you start getting quite good at just guesstimating or for example, yeah. Mao is, uh, what is it? 1.62, I think. Yeah. Yeah. Actually, I just Googled the Celsius Fahrenheit. 24 degrees Celsius yeah. is 75.2 Fahrenheit. I, we were close. We were good. Yeah. 24. Yeah. <laughs> 
So let's talk about some of the other stuff that you've done. Of yep. course, you already mentioned the Beamy Awards. I can't have you on my show without talking about them. Really sad that you're not doing those anymore. How did they come about? When are they coming back? They uh, they were kind of just... Uh, it's funny. So I had, I had thought of the idea. I guess the first one was in December of 2014. And I had the idea and I was getting ready to do it. And that was when I got the job at Louisiana Downs. And I, I remember having the thought... Maybe I shouldn't do this. Like I because I'd accepted the job, but I had they hadn't announced it. They weren't gonna announce it for a few weeks. And so it was like that interim period of of, of quiet. And I remember thinking, like, do I want to do something like this? Because they're gonna think that they hired a jackass. And they did they did, but <laughs> they were gonna at least then know about it. And uh and so I but then I just decided I said, you know what, it's just something stupid fun. Like I didn't promote it, nobody knew what it was. And so I just said like a like a two day or like a day in advance. I said, Hey, tomorrow I'm gonna do a little fake award show you know on Twitter and uh and here's the categories. It was like best fight and best hair and you know, best uh Twitter moment and all this kind of stuff. And we I did it that it was like a Friday night and and it really kind of clicked. Like it it got a lot of attention for for what it was. And the next year I went to Louisiana Downs, my life fell apart <laughs> there. And so I quit Twitter because the first, my old Twitter used to just be my name. It was at Jason Beam. And so I quit Twitter in like May of that year. And I signed back up in like October mm-hmm. and somebody had already taken at Jason Beam. In fact, if you go look, I'm almost positive it's still there. It's just a Facebook thumbs up sign at Jason Beam and it says oh. Jason and it has like 30 followers or something and it's all like racing people that follow it like they're they're holding out in case that in case has, you come back with that hat yeah, which, yeah. Which, I, which I'm sure I gotta probably uh, you know fork over a few bucks for which somebody actually thought that was worth money but um, so so when I so I just I started the account as Beamy Awards because I I decided I was going to do them again because I was I like when I moved home like I started doing Uber and I, I had always had a little side job in Portland doing restaurant and grocery store audits for this uh, company called Everclean. And so I did that for like four or five months and I was what out of racing. What is a restaurant and grocery store audit? So um, it was actually a very fun side job. Like Portland, you know, we only ran three days a week. And so I was sitting around and a buddy of mine from college was a food health and safety person. That was his major at the University of Washington where I went and we were fraternity brothers. And he called me, he said, what do you do during your days off? He goes, I know you got like a four day weekend. And I said, nothing, sit around. And he goes, would you ever be interested in doing these audits? So uh, for the grocery stores, you audit the uh, the price tags because a lot of times the price tags are like incorrectly posted. Like they'll tell you that they're charging $5.99. You get to the counter and it's $6.99. And a lot of people don't notice because they got 50 grocery things, right? Um, you would check to see if the weights were accurate. Like if a piece of cake supposed to weigh 0.63 pounds, you weigh it and make sure it's right. You make sure the tear weight of the product was right. And then for the for the restaurants, you would actually do health, food, and safety, like temp- temperature checks. And we were a private company that they would hire restaurants and grocery stores to do these audits to prepare them for when the health department came. Essentially, oh, it was a okay. you know once every quarter kind of thing. And so uh, I was doing that at Uber for like six months. And then I thought, yeah, I'll do the beamies. It'll be fun. You know, cause I'd given up on racing and race calling. Like those were just dead dreams at that point. And so, uh, I, I signed up the Twitter account and I just made it at Beamy awards. Cause I thought it was just going to be for the Beamy awards. And that second year when we did it, uh, it trended nationally on Twitter and the, the wow. it, I'll never forget it. Cause it was the day Rudy Giuliani dropped out of the 
Republican primary season, whatever that was, you know, it was late 2015. And the trends like it was later in the day. So that, like the number seven trend was Rudy Giuliani. The number eight trend was Beamy. <laughs> no, that's incredible. <laughs> well, because the thing was, is it, the the fun of it was that everybody participated in. It. And I think that everybody, you know, they would all have, I just, I, I told me, you know, hashtag every reply so people can follow along. And I remember Penelope Miller with America's Best Racing. Like she was like, she, she, she once like wrote a whole blog about how to properly watch the Beamy. She's like, you get one tab with Jason's account up, you get another one with just the hashtag and you get another one with your own feed and, and you read through and like, but everybody would hashtag every reply and then it would trend nationally. And it was just so funny that this stupid little thing. And like, you know, I used to always give the Eclipse a, a little bit of crap. I said, you realize like I, my stupid thing that I do for $4 in my bedroom is getting more attention than the Eclipse Awards. I think Ray Pollock even tweeted once, like, how is it that the Beamies are better than the Eclipse Awards? But um, yeah, they really took off that year. And then, I mean, we had sponsors for the last few years. And the real truth is, is they, I just thought they kind of ran their course. Like I'm, mm-hmm. as being a creative person, like you kind of want to, you know, I, I admire people that leave before the party's too old <laughs> or before the party's <laughs> over kind of thing. I, I'm I'm one of those people that does that. I'm, yeah. like, I'm tired now. <laughs> well, this and is it, great. I'm going to go home now. <laughs> yeah. The, the, tr- the truth was is that I, di- I didn't think it was going to be any different if we did it another year. And we had like Run Happy had called us because he sponsored the year before and they were like, hey, we'll be the title sponsor. So, I mean, we're talking about money that's not insignificant. And but it was just like, it was just going to be the same thing. I had started announcing more. And so my schedule was just busier and I, I just didn't want to do the same thing. And it was going to be the same gags, the same little videos. And if we could like really do it up with video, you know, with like good video stuff and like, you know, get big people in racing to help out, like having Mattress Mac do a spoof commercial with me was amazing. And I, I didn't know that we could top that and with, with just uh-huh. that same format. So to me, it just, they kind of ran their course and, and honestly, time was just a little bit of an issue. And, uh, I don't, I don't have any desire to, like, cause I, I do videos that are like comedy videos. I'll post them once in a while. And, you know, I can just do that on my own channel and people seem to get a kick out of them. Like, I don't know the beamy thing. It just, and plus doing comedy's not easy right now. Like, you, you know, you know, I don't want to piss anybody off and offend anybody. And it's hard not to do that. It is tricky. It's tricky because not yeah. everyone would get your sense of humor. And I'm sure there's oh, yeah. plenty of negative reaction to your videos. You put yourself out there. It's, it's yeah. scary. Yeah. Well, horse racing's not the best at <laughs> laughing at ourselves. No, I actually, I have to agree with you there. Like we, we maybe sometimes take ourselves qu- quite seriously. Is, yeah. is that a good way of putting it instead of just kind of having a little bit of a joke? But I thought that's why your Beamy Awards and that's why your videos are so great because I think it's brilliant to kind of poke fun at, fun, fun at ourselves, enjoy it whilst we're here, right? Yeah. And, and have a bit of fun with everyone that's part of the industry. And what would be, what would have been some of the best moments you think from the Beamy Awards? What was the funniest or you got the most kick out of? The uh, the Mattress Mac video the last year got a, like, I, and that was one of those things I knew it was going to be a smash. Like I knew people would go crazy over that. Um, there was the the best photo to Photoshop one always seemed to get a real laugh from a lot of people. There was one year, uh, I think it was Emily Shields for the DRF. She had taken this great picture of Steve Asmussen walking through the paddock at Del Mar, the sea breeze blowing through those beautiful gray locks. And he was kind of staring off into the distance. And so we Photoshopped Steve into various funny situations. And the best one was there was a like, you remember those old romance novel paperback covers that always had like, you know, the, the ones like that Fab- are just, 
They're in like the supermarkets. Fabio. They're in the supermarket, yeah. like Fabio, yeah. and you know, and so we, we there was there happened to be one called Texas Touch that that had a guy like you know had the gal in the dress and you know he was holding her and about to kiss her and so we put Steve's head on that and people just went bonkers about that. That was a really good one. And Liam Benson was the other uh, really good photo to Photoshop. He had this. There was this great photo. He won his first stakes. Uh, it was the Tyro Stakes. I forget the horse's name, but uh, he was a huge upset win at Monmouth, and it was his first stakes win. And then there was an inquiry called, and the photographer there, Bill Denver, who's a really good guy and a good photographer, uh, caught Liam hands on his knees, like bent over, just sweating out this no. inquiry. And we took that and put Liam in so many funny situations. Like there was the. Uh, we put him on stage with Robin Thicke. He was Miley Cyrus kind of bent over because he was bent over. <laughs> like, we put him on a toilet because he was kind of bent over. Like there was, there was a million like, and uh, it was, I, that, again, it, it's, it's a little over the top, but I, I knew like those ones I knew were going to just smash and kill. And sometimes there's some awards where you do them and it's like, oh, okay, that's fun. But it's, I used to always, people would ask me, oh, how do I win an award? And I'm like, it's not a meritocracy thing. It was strictly based on being a comedy show. And if I thought something was funny, I would give it an award because I, because it would make for a funny post or gag. Mm -hmm. And, you know, because like people would try to like, you know, Julie Leperu one year, I think did win one for you know, clapping back at somebody who was hating on it, but it was, and, and it was, it was deserving, but it was also so obvious because everybody remembered that it was like the, the best clap back of the year. And so it didn't have the same punch. So I always looked for like little ones that people didn't really notice. Uh, and the ones that aren't that. meant to be exactly know, for an award, yeah. but just because they're actually real when people said that. Or yeah. hundred percent. Yeah. One of my favorite, one of my favorites from the first year was, uh, the Ahmed Zayat follower of the year award because the Zayats used to have so many fake followers on Twitter. Like they, they all had like 150,000 followers on their account. It's like, come on. Like we all know that you guys bought the followers. So I picked out like just some random egg from their following, like, you know, at Gene78397 who'd posted, you know, once in their entire life. And it was obviously a robot and, and gave that one an award. I also thought that was funny. I mean, that's... <laughs> I, like, I like how you're not afraid to uh, call call things oh. as you see them. <laughs> yeah, I mean, you know, and, and to be honest, as weird as it sounds, like you know, when when all that started out, I mean, I was, you know, I I was a unemployed race caller Uber driver, and so I didn't have a whole lot to lose as far as that's concerned. That's another thing I think that would be a little tough with doing them now is like, you know, I got like four jobs. I don't want to. I don't want to piss anybody off. And so, and, and on the other hand, like. Yeah. I don't think you can be funny without, you don't need to piss anybody off, but I think you do need to tweak a little bit. And, you know, a lot of that's punching up and people that are up don't like being punched at. So, Yeah, I think you probably have to be careful uh, yeah. now that you're, you know, carrying a couple of jobs. You don't want people to be like, hey, why did you make fun of that? Yeah. I didn't think that was funny. You're like, but it was funny though. Yeah. I feel <laughs> so like I have, a, I have a pretty good, at least I think I do. Uh, I joke with Ed DeRose about this because I don't think he does. <laughs> like I have a pretty good <laughs> sense of, of where the line is. <laughs> I'm sorry. No, that's okay. It's true, right? I mean, Ed's very straightforward, Andre. I, like, I love reading yeah. yours oh, yeah. and his stuff, but didn't he change his name to Ed the Roasted for, for like a little bit? Yeah, oh, I, I, that, that, that was... That what was, was that in, about? That, well, that was in tune to my podcast. I, I did a roast for his last day at Churchill. Oh. So, so I did a roast on our, on our show uh, of Ed. Because I, 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 I was like, well, you know what? That's a pretty good name to prepare. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, yeah. I actually had some good joke. I, I th let me see if I can. F there was one that was. 
yeah, there was a bunch that were good, but uh, it, it was all fun. But yeah, Ed's uh, Ed's a good sport. But I, I think that getting back to like sometimes he doesn't know where the line is, and I feel like I've been very like I've really never gotten in trouble for anything I've said on Twitter, and I you know, and I'll I'll take a uh, I'll take a shot once in a while, but I think I have a really good sense of where of line. I probably just jinxed myself into cancellation coming up. <laughs> there but, we are. Yeah, yeah, there we are. Now, yeah, now you get now you're getting canceled. No, I I massively admire you for stepping out there, doing those videos, making people laugh, including like I. I love them. I don't think I'm funny enough to do any of that. So I just massively look up to you being able to do that and actually being hilarious at it as well. So let's continue talking about the social media sphere because mm -hmm. my next question is about that as well. Do you have a favorite trainer on Twitter? Favorite trainer on Twitter? Yeah, I do. And it's going to take me a second to think of who it is. But there are a few that I get a kick out of. And mostly it's the ones that will actually talk about it. like chad is actually funny on there i uh chad followed me in like like right around the holidays the year before last and i remember telling myself if he doesn't unfollow in two months i'm gonna ask him on my podcast <laughs> i'd never what, gonna I'd, actively try to get him to unfollow no <laughs> just, just like maybe this was a mistake you know maybe he you know i've always said todd pletcher's like my white whale that i've never had on the show and i want to interview but uh Chad was certainly a a big name to have on, but I, I think I think he does Twitter pretty well, especially for somebody who's obviously you know arguably the biggest name in his profession. Mm -hmm. um, he'll have some fun on there, you know. He he'll he'll he, it seems like he's actually pulled back a little bit on it. Um, but he's like been a when bit he more quiet in recent days, yeah, when seems. he first got on, like Mark Hennig's always always nice because he kind of interacts with everybody, and which is cool for you know someone who again is, is kind of a big name trainer. There's a guy in Maryland uh, that you probably know, Phil Schoenthal. I always think he does mm -hmm. a good job on Twitter. He's a good mix of like the occasional funny tweet. Uh, you know, he's got uh, a nice family. He'll show he'll he'll sit and do like uh, hockey broadcasts from his kids' <laughs> hockey games. He had the, he had the best. It was so funny. I was talking to Frank Miramati about this. Um, there was a horse name. It was in the Breeders' Cup, Koala Princess, who I think that was a Koala Princess was in the turf. Philly yeah, turf. yeah. But uh, she debuted at Monmouth and just blew their doors off. And Phil had a horse in that race. Frank, Frank tweeted, he said, he said, you know, oh, we just saw something real special, this, this horse. And Phil replied, he goes, you know, I was five to one morning line in that race and I was feeling pretty good. I'm good. And then I talked to Delacour that next morning. He goes, talk about cold water. <laughs> he, oh. said Delacour, he said Delacour just told him, dude, you're running for second, man. <laughs> oh. <laughs> no, look, I love following trainers on Twitter. So you mentioned Phil Schoenthal as well as Chad Brown. Like, I really enjoy it when they make these little funny quips and, and yeah. just kind of poke at themselves, poke at other people. Like you said, like make make fun of, you know, the, the sport that we're in, because why not? Like, why not be funny and competitive at the same time? I remember Chad and Suge would go back to bed. Like, that was the craziest thing I've ever seen was like when Chad and Suge McGay were <laughs> going back and forth, like not at each other, but kind of taking passive shots. Like five years ago, would you have ever thought you'd see that? No, no, yeah. uh, no chance. No, no. I Look, I, I like people standing up on Twitter, especially, you know, trainers just, yeah, calling it as they see it. So, yeah, yeah I definitely – any any recommendations of who we should follow then, the ones that you've just mentioned? Well, well I, I'll give Phil a free plug. I think, I, you know, I, it's funny because doing Colonial now, I've gotten a lot more familiar with the Maryland circuit, and obviously that's, you know, your 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 home base. And so uh, I think it's a little emotion. bit – He's good motion, He's great. Yeah. He's actually, he's always been very nice to me too. He's always come on my show and uh, always, uh, you know, 
said nice things and retweeted. I'm, I'm a big Graham fan. My, my, my colleague, Jessica Paquette, she's a, she worships at the altar of Graham. And I always give her crap for that. Cause she picks his horses like <laughs> every time he's in, she's, and, and I'm just like, now what a part of this is that you think the horse can win? What part of it? She, you just think Graham is and Anita are the greatest people ever. <laughs> she battles through it. <laughs> she get a winner or two. I mean, he wins, he wins plenty of times. He, he does. He does pretty good, especially colonial. He, he doesn't send a ton there, but he's, he's always live when he comes down there and they get bet a lot too. Yeah, well, there you go. So most of the time, should probably be right picking them. So it's actually like a win-win situation. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah, 100%. <laughs> so another question. And mm-hmm. look, I, I'm not going to lie. I'll tell you afterwards. I spoke to someone and they gave me some really cool questions that I definitely didn't come up with by myself. This is one of them. Okay. What is a horse racing conspiracy you actually buy into? I thought it was such a good oh, question. Oh, man, like, that wow. is a good question. Yeah, I was like, I, you know what? That's a really good one. Oh, I, you know, what sucks is I have an answer for this and it's not in my brain right now. Um, I mean, I jokingly say the songbird one thing, but <laughs> there's, there's actually a couple that are like, that, like, first of all, I think the, the, the fix six is the best conspiracy name of all mm-hmm. time. The Arlington park, uh, pick six scandal, like just calling it the fix six. Like I think is like a great name for a movie. Um, oh crap. I, I, I'm gonna I'm gonna cop out on this because I know there's an answer that I'm just not pulling out of my head right now. But is it terrible that I, straight away I thought, oh, a company can name their pick six sequence pick six? <laughs> <laughs> but that's that's not gonna fly. <laughs> I uh, oh man, I, it would I be probably, funny, I, but it, no, no, I probably no should PR or marketing. I probably shouldn't. I probably shouldn't say what I'm about to say. But what the heck? We're we're if anybody's still listening, 51 minutes into this, they they deserve. So I remember <laughs> they deserve at, the gems. <laughs> I remember at Portland one time, I I pitched an idea to my boss. I said, you know, we're kind of a bottom level track. Why don't we find a few other tracks and we'll call it a shit six. <gasps> <laughs> I said, we'll just we'll each take two or three races from our bad track. <laughs> oh, yeah. Delete that. Well, out. how was their Take it out. <laughs> well, he knew I was kidding. But, you know, we were, we were throwing around ideas one night. God, yeah, I, I don't. I, th- I think the majority of the tracks are, are not gonna. They're not. Gonna no, work. no, no. Actually, in I fact, my... in, what's funny is the the tracks that I suggested. Uh, they're all they're all not with us anymore. So, <laughs> see, yeah. I had my boyfriend Alejandro ask me, "Why is it called the Rainbow Pick Six? Why, why do yeah. you have all these names?" And I'm like, you know what? That's a really good question. I think it's just a marketing gimmick, isn't it? Give it a name so it's more relatable and, and more well, familiar yeah a lot of them i mean i'm i'm very publicly anti-jackpot bet but a lot of them i think the when it came the rainbow thing that was just because it was a gulf stream right like it was yeah yeah, yeah. down like where, where it was warm and what because beulah had one and i want to say it was the fortune six but a lot of them you know they name it like regionally like you know deltas is like the crocodile six and um it's not but it, you know a lot of the tracks do that like they they name it something regionally about themselves or their area yeah i mean it's just marketing stuff yeah that's what i thought as well look i i'm european i still actually this is funny this is what <laughs> didn't you tweet something about a a, pro, a profile on a dating website saying anyone that swipes left place or show bets you're not welcome <laughs> i was about to say i'm european i just like to bet to win maybe maybe you show here and there so i guess i'm canceled already then huh no, no, no! I said anybody that bets place or show gets gets the out. Gotta, I sometimes do. Yeah. Well, I you know, prefer I do, that over the the larger horizontal bets I, because I, 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 I do I just, think that that oh. it's just a lot harder to hit. 
Well, that that's for sure. But I just think that in general, the other thing with place and show betting is is you're also affected by who else runs in the top two. Mm -hmm. So if you have an eight to one shot that runs third, that's fine. But if it comes with the two favorites, it pulls your money down because it's, you know, it obviously depends on how much is bet on the other two that land in there. And so overall, I think place and show betting are not long term profitable type ventures uh, as much as win betting is because I think you have to overcome some stuff. I also think the breakage affects it more because it's a lower payout. And so mm-hmm. if it was going to pay 257 and then pays 240 instead, percentage wise, 17 cents off a of 40 percent, 40 cent profit. I mean, that's, you know, that's almost 30%. Yeah. yeah. So I'm, I'm just, <laughs> I'm personally very anti-placer. I don't think they like should be banned or anything like jackpot bets, but I think, um, I, I I just you know it, I was making a joke and, and nobody's. I thought it was pretty sw- good. You, you nobody swipe nobody swipe nobody swiping right on my account lately. Oh. It's, uh, I'm looking at it right now, Naomi. No matches in in Tampa. Oh no, maybe you should go willing to you know reconsider the <laughs> place or show bet opinion for the right candidate. Yeah, yeah, yeah. (laughs) It's okay if you box four horses in the exact, if you're very nice and you you have a job. (laughs) And you don't mind coming along to the racetrack every now and then and, you know, this and that. So hold on, which bet do you place most often? I don't really bet ever anymore. Uh, but I, I, I just, I, I want racing to encourage bets that I think are better long-term for the betters. Cause with the takeout being kind of high, not kind of high, high, uh, compared to a lot of other games, I just think it's important that we give our betters the best opportunity to at least succeed or make their money last longer. And that's why I'm very against the jackpot bets. Cause you know, you're talking about 55 or 60% takeout. Cause really most of the combinations are not paying out the jackpot. So those mm-hmm. are essentially half the pool and so i just wish that we would not have so many bets that are kind of designed to take money out of the betters hands and out of the system i mean that money's just being held there um while it builds up and i know that the final payoff days are great i know they're a boom for tracks but um i think the the lead up to them is not great for for better so i just i always just kind of try to advocate for lower takeout and good good bets for people to uh to be able to play so which sequences do you like better then I, I mean, I love the pick five, I think has become the, the best bet in racing, or at least most places. A, they, they've seemed to market it mostly with lower takeout and B it seems that with the lower minimums, uh, the 50 cent minimums, um, the pick four is just not quite as, as hard anymore. And it's not as easy to get separation because people can, I mean, I think pick threes have just been killed by the low minimum. Um, cause with 50 cents, you can go five by five by five and spend 60 bucks and that's covering half the, the horses in, in each race. Yeah. And I just think it's really hard to get a big payout of the pick three, unless you really clobber three long shots in a row. The pick four is, is kind of getting that way. Uh, one thing I like about what we do at Grant's Pass is have the dollar minimum pick four because there's just, you know, every, with those 50 cent minimums, people are spreading more and the horses that are getting added are the six to ones, the eight to ones. And you guys see it with the Stronic five bet every week, right? It's a dollar min, or is it? Yeah. Is it a dollar? dollar minimum, yes. Yeah. And it, it makes like, even when it, I don't want to say chocks out, but even when it's somewhat formful, in fact, I think you and Dinnerman hit it today. Yeah. And it that was, was quite formful. Except it was quite, there was one price 14, at his track. Yeah. There yeah. was one price at Golden Gate. And it paid $1,400. I know for and, a $96 yeah. ticket. Yeah. That was, and so yeah. I, I just think that the, for and that's for a pick five, by the way. I think for the pick four and pick threes, the dollar minimum would be great. And I, I know sm- smaller players get mad at me when I say that on my show, but I, 
I think that when they hit, they're going to get paid more, not just double. You know, there's some people seem to think like, well, if it was a dollar minimum, you're just going to make double. No, because all those six to one and eight to ones that people were including for 50 cents, they're not including for a dollar. And if you're yeah. hitting one of those, you're getting so much more separation than just just double. But, um, you know, those are those are probably conversations for no, I, I do. I, that's what we see with the Stronach 5, especially. Yeah. Like you oh, said, even if it's relatively formful. I just saw it was actually a $16.40 horse at Golden Gate Fields. Aside from that quite formful or like just below $10 horses, still that $96 ticket paid $1,400. One, four, one, eight to be exact. I but mean, I mean there's, time, there's, times where, there's times where that bet pays thirty or 40000 oh, and yes. there's there's really just two outside the box. There's a $20 horse and a $16 horse. And then there's, you know, I mean, I've seen it where there's, there's two six to fives or even money shots in there and it still pays five figures. So I just think that that, that extra barrier, the, the higher minimum on some of those bets, it makes them harder to hit. Yes. You're going to hit less often, but I think the reward uh, makes up for that. And it, it, you know, obviously you can argue that it helps bigger betters, but I think those guys just end up playing more bad combinations in the long run and they get beat as it is. So I, I just think it's a, a good thing to see a few more dollar minimum bets getting like the 20 cent stuff is just beyond me. Like that's great. Like pick threes for 20 cents at Woodbine are just crazy. Like you can't, you can get 12 to one shots all day and you get 40 bucks back. Like it's just brutal. Yeah. No, I, I would prefer the higher minimums because then you have that better payout and it really feels like you've actually achieved something yeah. and you've gotten that re- reward for your ha- handicapping skills, basically. No, I'd actually, I've, those, you know, the pick four, pick fives actually have really grown on me since I've been yeah. in the US because I used to just bet to win, to be quite honest, keep it really simple. That's Which there's the nothing European wrong with, way. by the way. Like that's, I tell people all the time, like sometimes- Except you know, people, we get beaten oh, by a nose. <laughs> well, yeah, that, well, yeah, but if you're playing a pick five, like if that was your key horse, you're getting right. beat anyways, right? And so- That was your single. But, uh, I tell people that all the time, like, because they always, everybody always wants to talk about pick four structure, pick five structure and sequences. And I'm like, you know, sometimes if your opinion is just good and the horse's odds are, you know, if you think a horse is five to one to win the race and you're getting seven to one, it's a good bet. Like you're getting, you know, I mean, if if he truly is going to win that race one out of every five times and you're getting seven to one, like you should bet that horse every day, all day and Sunday, you know, to win because it's, you're getting a good bet. Agreed. Although I do love listening to like the ticket structure, obviously comes part and parcel of the job uh, as well. And I like listening to those professional players that, you know, do it day in, day out with a lot more funds to play with. I think it's very, very intriguing. But look, when I bring family and friends to the track, which I try to do as often as I can, uh, a lot of my, you know, close friends aren't in horse racing. Mm -hmm. I'm not going to tell them to play those big sequence bet unless they want to learn of course yeah. actually my boyfriend loves playing the big four and the big five now so he, he sits there and he wants to look at the structure and and i try and help him or i point him to all my you know my professional handicapping friends and be like hey why don't you ask them and people mm-hmm. you know i like that part of it too the expl- the explaining the learning but most likely if i bring people to the track i'm gonna say which horse do you like this is this and this, or they might like the way they look in the paddock or their yeah. name, whatever it is. I'm like, how about you put $5 to win that easy? And then, yep. you know, even if they don't win, but they run well, it's still been a good experience, right? There was very simple, clean cut kind of outcome there. I used to, I used to grumble with our, uh, one of our marketing guys at Portland, cause he would always tell people to bet to show. And I said, I said, not for nothing, but making 40 cents is just not going to get anybody's blood flowing. <laughs> And I said, yeah. <laughs> at least a $5 win bet, even if it's on the even money favorite, is going to win you a beer or at least a beer at, at a lot mm-hmm. of tracks. Um, and so, you know, I, and that's not to say that 
you know, I mean, obviously two, being a $2 better is fine. I try to reinforce that to our listeners all the time. Like sometimes people that are smaller players, like they have a shame about it. And I'm like, if anything, you're probably losing less than most of these people. I do so. not mind people betting $2. No, hundred percent. That, that That's enjoyable still, right? If you're yeah. right, you feel good about, you know, having a good day and you're not losing, you know, 200 bucks in one go, whatever it yeah. is. Like I, I, I support that. But uh, yeah, but I, my, my argument would just be like, but but bet it to win just because you do have a chance to actually make something that that is a little bit of a difference in your day as opposed to because it's so funny. Like I, I'll see people that talk about doing show parlays all the time. It sounds very easy to like, oh, I can just pick a horse to show every race. <laughs> it's not like <laughs> there was a guy that did like a challenge. He said he, he thought he could hit 95 out of 100, which you technically need to do to like break even if you're betting all those bridge jumper type horses. And he like he really thought he would do it and he had lost four of them by like the 15th or 20th one because it's oh. like there's just so many things that can happen in a horse mm-hmm. race yeah. that you know you're you're just never going to be right 90 percent or 95 percent of the time about anything in this game and so when you are right that's why you gotta you gotta make some money on it exactly and well so this is the funny but back in europe also i wasn't in you know, professionally involved with the handicapping aspect Uh there. And in general, there's kind of the two bets to win or to play. So the place would mean second or third. I came to the US and a friend of mine was like, oh, just put put this bet on me, uh, on for me to show. And I thought he meant place, right? I think that's the same thing. I didn't realize that there was a separation. So I put this, you know, good enough substantial bet on for this friend of mine to place instead of to show now luckily for me okay, the horse good. won i was gonna say I, I thought that was a third place finish coming right <laughs> and, down the but i didn't figure that I, I found out that you know not the hard way because clearly i yeah. made my friend more money but i was like wait what there's a difference and this was you know me not being familiar with the fact that in the u.s i do feel like there's such a plethora of options yeah there is honestly anything that you want to try and bet i'm sure you can find a way to do it Right? Yeah, you you yeah, want to oh. predict who comes first, second, third, fourth, fifth? Yeah, we have a bet for that. <laughs> yeah. Well, that, it's funny because we, we have a lot of these conversations on my show. We do a Horse Player Thursday show every week, and we, we talk a lot about more intricate betting kind of stuff like this. And and one of the things we talked about recently was deciding which bet to make. Because, you know, if you like a an eight-to-one shot, as you said, you can literally – bet that horse to win place show you could key it in exactas you can key it in trifectas you could key it in pick threes and doubles pick fives whatever and it truthfully does depend a lot of well in that race are there other price options you like or are you just mm-hmm. kind of with the favorites then maybe the horizontal wager becomes better because you know just having that horse you know with the second or third choices underneath you know it's probably not going to make that big of a difference whereas maybe you can really get some separation in the pick fours and pick fives and in stuff some like of that. the but, other legs yeah yeah, but if you just like the seven to one and then you just like favorites the rest of the way, there's no point in playing the pick four, especially if you're going to spread. I mean, if you're just going stone cold single, I mean, I guess it's fine. But um, people never think because, you know, pick fours and pick fives, they're just they're win parlays is kind of what they are. And yeah. so I, that's why they're the I remember uh, we had a professional horse player on our show a while back uh, inside the pilots and he would always say, he'd go, would you ever go bet? ten dollars to win on a nine to five a two to one and a five to two he goes but people do that going three deep in bets all the time he goes and so it's it's you know it's just a way of looking at equity and gaining equity in each leg and um you know it's just to me that that all that math stuff and the ticket structure and the betting stuff that really re-sparked my interest in a lot of that stuff because i'm not a good handicapper at all and you know i'm i'm decidedly below average when it comes to picking winners and so to me it's it reinvigorated 
it's not easy. You're right. It's not. And, and the other thing is, is everybody thinks they're good at it. And so like, I, I always joke about being a race caller versus an analyst. Everybody thinks they're better at your job than you are picking winners. I mean, and nobody thinks they're better than we are at ours because they know they'd be scared to speak in public. That's a and really so, good way of looking at it. Yeah, it's. I well, think it's I a, need to change jobs. It's well, it's a it's a funny difference, right? Like I feel like people, you know, they don't think they could call a race because it's you know public speaking. It's it's a different, but they all think they can pick more winners than everybody, and so it's you know because it's just a different. A different thing but yeah that's not my strength so the the math stuff it, it really invigorated my enjoyment of those conversations because it's just a different angle and it it wasn't an angle that was really talked about a lot until i would argue in, in the last couple of years so it's been neat to see those conversations happening more uh, and in different places because there's just not a lot of you know even the books we used to read like there's just there's none of that in there it's a lot it's all handicapping not betting yeah, I agree with you. The majority of the books I read would have been about handicapping and not about yeah. actually ticket structure or, mm -hmm. you know, what would you do? See, I, I like now from experience that if you're looking at a race and there's a really heavy favorite, I'm like, that's terrific for your horizontal bets. Great. You can have a single. If you really think that's a legitimate lock-in, yeah. you can use that. That's going to make your ticket structure so much more feasible in terms of your initial investment and, and your potential return if you then go deep in other legs. So I like that now. Whereas if you look at it just from a winning standpoint yeah. like i probably wouldn't really bet the heavy favorite to yeah. win because i just don't find it that interesting well and vice versa too if you hate the heavy favorite now it becomes your score yeah. leg right mm -hmm. and so um yeah the weak favorite thing is to me that's become what i look for most now in a race is is i want to find a weak favor because there's just so many more combinations that are going through that horse that if you can beat that like that's you know, that to me, that's the most interesting legs. But every week when we do our weekend recap, I see pick fours and pick fives where there's a really obvious single that hits and it'll still pay eight or 10,000. And so, I mean, you can, you can find ways you just, you know, you just got to be right. Yeah, absolutely. Easier but said than done. <laughs> <clears throat> yes, that's it. Well, my, my theory is always, if I can make someone look at a race differently or look at a horse differently, that might be beneficial i might not be completely right about what i thought was going to happen but if i can make them look at things from like a multitude of angles yep. maybe that makes them enjoy it a little bit more when they're watching the race like watching for whatever we were talking about or maybe they learn something about strategy in terms of you know horses buying pressure to each other or horses being boxed in like anything that could make someone as a fan enjoy the game more because they understand it better i think is still valuable so i always yep. kind of hope to do that now most of the time, you're not going to be right, right? If you look at strike rates of trainers, of jockeys, of analysts, you're never going to be right. Even half of the time, you won't be right. Nope. The, and, public's, and only, the public's only right 37% of the time, and the public's good. <laughs> like, they're pretty sharp. Well, there you go. Try, try and yeah. think that you can beat the betting public, right? Yeah. Try and think that you can outsmart them. Perhaps that's not the entire goal, right? Isn't it about saying, hey, what if this distance scenario unfolds? What if this, this happened? Now, if you're right, of course, you look like a genius. If you're not, at least you can go, okay, so what was different? And why did that or did that not happen? Or, and I think that's probably the fun part of it. Like, I think, especially, for example, today, we had two stakes races at Laurel. One of them was the Politely Stakes. And, of course, we had Hello Beautiful, very heavy favorite there. Mm -hmm. And then we had Princess Kokochin for trainer Jerry Robb. And Hello Beautiful trained by Brittany Russell, who's really been making waves down on the circuit, which you, you obviously know you're following the circuit. Yep. And you're looking at that race and you're kind of like, well, hello, beautiful, won't get beat. She's been in incredible form. This daddy, da, 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 she's so flexible. You know, she can, she can go to the front, but she can also kind of lay off it. And we kept on kind of discussing, well, 
if you were any of the other runners, what would you do to try and beat her? And we kept kind of, well, I kept looping back to, well, Princess Kokujin is that fast. What if you can pressure her? And that's what they did. That is what they decided to do. They're like, we're going to take that race to Hello Beautiful. And now I don't know if she had an off day because she definitely wasn't as strong and as dominant as she normally was. Uh, you know, fingers crossed, we'll see her again and she just bounced back or she's been on, you know, it's been on an absolute tear. But it was fun to try and figure out how would that race play out, especially it wasn't a very big field. You know, what would the jockeys think? What would the trainers think? How might this become a really interesting sort of game of chess instead of just a simple horse race? Yeah. Yeah, I mean, it's it's a rare thing to win a lot of races in a row, right? Like it's it's... There's just so many things that can happen. And that's why, you know, I remember hearing somebody say one time, like, is there really ever truly a one to nine shot? <laughs> like, there is there ever a horse that's going to really win nine out of every 10 times just because there is something, you know, things that can happen. And, uh, and, and like you said, sometimes they just don't show up. But, and on that day, and, you know, that's, that's why okay if you too, right? That's like 100%. That's what makes it fun. It wouldn't be any mm-hmm. fun if, the, if that horse just went out and rolled every time. I mean, I guess it would be interesting to watch, but. Um, you know, to me now this horse's story is even more interesting because now she has to see if she can rebound and they have to go back to the drawing board and it's not just, you know, and obviously they're not just throwing the saddle over and leading her over, but, um, you know, I I always said Zenyatta, like in a weird way to me, like her legacy became greater even when she got beat, like in a weird way, because, you know, it just, she was, she was mortal, even though she was still amazing. No, I disagree. I got really upset when she got beat. <laughs> oh, I was upset too, but I just, I just think it's an interesting part of the story, and I don't know, maybe in the, in the grand scheme of things, just kind of neat. But maybe no, I, I, I agree. I'm a with huge you, fan of hers. But the problem is, she didn't come back after, so that yeah. was just it, right? I, I think yeah. maybe that's the part that I thought was upsetting that she got beat, but then you know, it wasn't like you just said back to the drawing board. It was kind of like, well, that's her final race and now she's off the stud so i think i saw blame oh my god where was he standing at uh one of the stuff i'm standing in kentucky it was a while ago i feel terrible that Mm. i'm blanking on this now i can't pull up google quick enough i'm Um, still trying to remember what conspiracy theory i love have you come up with one in the in the meantime (laughs) i know i i it's so funny because i've that's it claiborne sorry sorry you know sorry to claiborne yeah i saw my claiborne and i was still like yeah you look great but I don't like you. <laughs> well, I guess what I guess what I I shouldn't say liked about it because, like I said, I was a big fan of hers and all, and all that. But like, it's just such a real life ending, right? Like, we don't get the movie ending most of the time, and mm-hmm. we just didn't that day. And it's it's just, but it's st- I mean, it doesn't. You know, she's still just incredible, and like what she oh, did absolutely. was incredible. Yeah. No, she's she was actually, and this is a funny story because later on I told Mike Smith this. She was the first racehorse that I ever followed. And this was when I was back in the Netherlands. I wasn't truly, you know, entrenched in horse racing yet. I was doing a bit of pony racing. And she was the first one I came across. Like that's how far her legend was kind of spreading out Mm -hmm. throughout the world that I came across her and I started, you know, watching all her races. And later on, I told Mike Smith, I was like, you know that, you know, you and Zinyada were the first, you know, my first real love in horse racing in terms of like, following this amazing mare and and what she was doing that was you know she was like a poster girl for me you know if i could have a yeah. print out of her above my bed i probably would have do you have one I, of those who's yours she she uh, well I, for me when i was a kid uh there was a horse in seattle where i grew up named captain condo 
and he was the kingpin of Long Acres, which was the track they closed when I was twelve. It was open from nine or from nineteen thirty three to ninety two. It was this beautiful track. We have Emerald Downs now, which is a great track too. But like Long Acres just had something special about it. And Captain Condo was this monstrous gray horse that would come from the back. And Gary Henson, like my announcing career started because of Gary Henson. Like he was when I was a little kid, he he had this great gravelly voice like this. And on the outside, Captain Condo is starting to roll the big gray. And I would go home and I'd ride my bike and I would just do Gary Henson's calls of Captain Condo. And he was he he had they used to make Captain Condo t-shirts with like him and a superhero uh, kind of thing. Like he never won the Longers mile. He ran second one year behind Gary Stevens of all people. And, um, Louis Cipher and Gary Stevens, uh, cause Gary grew up there. That was where Gary started was at Longacres, And, uh, so that was yeah. like his first time to go back and, and win the mile. But captain condo was, Oh, I mean, he was just the coolest. And here's a, here's a kind of a crazy captain condo story. So he was, he made like 450,000 back in the eighties at running in Seattle. So that tells you how much he was winning. Cause you know, stakes back then was 30 grand. Mm-hmm. And so he was just, he was just awesome. And he was like a homebred, you know, from a small group, like just a cool, cool story. So he was everybody's favorite horse in Seattle in the, in the late eighties, early nineties. And then long acres closed in 92. They racing went to Yakima Meadows, which is a very small track in kind of central Washington. When they decided to open Emerald Downs, the plan was was that Captain Condo was going to grace the track. Like when opening night was June twentieth of ninety six, and Condo was going to like lead the post parade to like christen the new track, right? Mm-hmm. So they bring him into the track on the day before. They get him in a stall that morning of opening night. They gallop him around, and he dies on the track. And he's he's buried. They buried him like out by the three eighths pole there uh, at Emerald Downs, and I just I always thought that was a crazy story that he, he literally died. I don't know, I don't know if it's good, bad, or what, but it's just again, it's just what happened. But it was, it was a crazy story, and so every time I hear, see them talk about Long Acre or Emerald Downs, you know, birthday anniversary, I always think about Captain Condo. Wow, I, I think most of us now now will because that, that's the kind of story that someone would make up. You know, that's the yeah, story yeah, that would be written 100%. in a fiction book and not pa- actually and a- happen. Apparently he was a like as a horse he was kind of a jerk like he would try to bite everybody and uh, I remember being sad finding that out like for some reason I wanted him to be nice but <laughs> I guess I guess he I guess he was ornery. They can't all be nice now, right? Yeah. I did. I you know it's funny when we were talking just a minute ago. I did think of not a conspiracy theory but a a, a story that I would love to know what really happened and this goes back to kind of the same time period of there was a jockey named Ron Hansen in the West Coast and he rode mm-hmm. a lot in the Bay Area and he came up he won the. I think it was the last mile or the second. I think he won the second to last mile at Emerald or at Long Acres the, with the um, Bolu Light. He broke from the 11 hole and stole the race. But Ron Hansen like kind of died under mysterious circumstances. Like they were like he was involved with some shady people in the Bay Area, I guess. And they found his car like on the Bay Bridge, but they said that they didn't think he jumped. And there's like a whole crazy story. Like nobody like there's articles you can Google on the L.A. Times and stuff talking about it. Like they never truly found out what happened to Ron Hanson I would I would love to know like the story wow yeah Yeah. I mean I'm now I think we should do a crime crime what is it crime junkie podcast on it Uh, uh, no yeah like if you google Ron Hanson jockey I just did like there's literally the life and mysterious death of Ron Hanson from thoroughbredworld.com the LA Times nobody killed Ron Hanson uh you know there's all these I've just pulled it up FBI a new probe of jockey's death from the SF gate vanishing point like there's all these like kind of articles 
uh, about it. Now, it, there's also, if you scroll down, there's an article that's tied from AP. It says, Jockey pleads guilty to race fixing, says he fears for his life. So there was there was circumstances around him. Wow. And then, yeah, yeah it's kind of, it's a bonker story. Like, I'd, I would be curious to hear, like, you know, what really happened. Because like the, the, the best part is sometimes the Google searches underneath. People ask, what happened to Jockey Ron Hansen? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> That's yeah, a really yeah. Good question. Google, how do you have the answer? <laughs> yeah, that's what we that's literally what I just asked Google. Yeah, wow. No, I, actually the thing for for anyone wanting to know it says Hansen, a colorful 30-year-old jockey disappeared yeah. October 2nd, 1993 after his Jaguar XJS traveling 90 to 100 miles per hour rear-ended another car on the eastbound bridge at 2:30 a.m. Hansen disappeared from the scene. And then th this part, this part is yeah. kind of his decomposed body was found the following January on a mud flood, flat, mud, mud flat, excuse me, yeah. in Hayward. <gasps> yes. So like they didn't. Yeah. But no, nobody knows if he fell, slipped, jumped, thrown off. Like there's, there's, all I mean, these, if like... you rear end a car going a hundred miles an hour, surely yeah, you're, you're not in deep going trouble. to survive, right? Yeah. That, that well, doesn't yeah, sound like think. a good thing to do. No. Yeah. Oof. Wow. Crazy. I didn't though, know huh? about this. Yeah. Oh, guys, we should all. Uh, I, I obviously they're not going to reopen the case, but it's definitely no. a an unsolved mystery of the racetrack, isn't yeah. it? Yeah. Yeah. Wow. No, I don't know any any more like that, but I do think you know it, we gave you an hour. You came up with a good one. <laughs> I just needed some time. I know I I know I have a conspiracy and it's like I said I just it's not it's not I mean the songbird one's a joke right like she she didn't actually win like I, we know that she didn't win but I, my People friend Carly still like on, to, yeah yeah my friend Carly on Twitter loves to bring it up so I just always get a kick out of it well I think people on Twitter like to start arguing about it again so I think it was that, funny the just... uh going back to the Beamy Awards we did a the I, I did a joke one time one year in the monologue it was saying uh you know, we always do the best photo to show to Photoshop award later on the show, but uh, this year's best Photoshop was this. And then I posted that, that <laughs> win picture of Songbird Beholder. And I remember there, there was some lady that really took offense to it, like really bad. Like, she's like, just give the mayor her credit. She won. And it's like, oh my God. <laughs> Stop. You're not getting the joke. It's still a great photo, though. I still love seeing that pop up every now and then. Oh on man, Twitter. that was a great race, classic that was, race. Oh, that was a that, that was a terrific. It's funny. Race. It's one of those races where I'm sure you know this too. Like, aren't there some races you watch them and you know, like right away, like that's one we're going to watch for years to come. Like, I kind of felt that way about Swiss Skydivers Preakness last year. Like, thank you. I, I was about to bring her up. I'm yeah. like, is it too soon to say that no. that was a really, really good one? It gave me goosebumps. Inst I instant stood there watching it and I got goosebumps. Instant classic. I and and I'm a uh, I'm a big Dave Rodman honk. I, I think Dave is is excellent and if anything underrated. And uh, I thought his call was so good at that race. A battle in Baltimore. Oh, but, yeah, it was that, so good. It's, it's I still so like. Good. Actually, I pointed it out to a couple of people. No, I'm I'm with you. That was incredible race call. Brilliant race. That was my first Preakness. I'd yeah. never yeah. like attended or worked a Preakness before. And I got the Kentucky Derby fixture authentic yeah. going head to head with the Phillies with Skydiver. And yeah, no, it's still uh, definitely for me, I, I will remember that. Instant, instant classic. That's, what, that's what they, yeah, instant classic. Yeah. Any other races that kind of are on repeat in your office sometimes? Oh, man. Um, 
I feel like I do go watch the Zenyatta ones about once a year. Like those are, it's fun to just do the whole one through 20 of those. Um, I love early on in her career. I think it's her second start where Vic goes, here is a future superstar Zenyatta. <laughs> and, and it's like, you know, he, he, he claims that he's only said that for like three horses. And it was like shared belief Zenyatta. And I forget what the other one, but he, he said he was, he said he's been right on all three. So I got to give Vic his, uh, his plaudits on that. But um, I, you know, I, I love to watch, like I'll go through and watch old Captain Condo ones. There's a bunch of those on, on YouTube. Now there's, there's somebody uh, I want to say it's a guy named Warren Wilson started up like a Long Acres fan page and like posted a bunch of old Long Acres races. I could watch like just from a pure nostalgic standpoint, I could watch and listen to those old Gary Henson races all the time. My my still my favorite race call is is Vic Stoffer's call of Cesario in the t- 2005 American Oaks. Um, I'll watch that usually once a year whenever July 4th rolls around. I like that. See, I, I yeah. think it, there's something to be said for just watching like a whole slew of historical races and reliving those. Yeah. I remember when I was in Dubai for the first time, which was in 2019 with the uh, Good Orphan Flying Star. We were there for about four months mm-hmm. and I did the whole, you know, Dubai World Cup Carnival. So the whole lead up, you know, the whole program. And I remember going, you know what? I'm going to watch back every single Dubai World Cup. <laughs> and you know how much fun that is? That's actually, oh, it's, it's really the- enjoyable. I mean, it starts out with Cigar. And yeah. Bill Moore and Jerry Bailey. I mean, could, could you get any better? It was just to start off with 1996. I really enjoyed that. I'd highly recommend everyone to do that. It's just a really enjoyable kind of trip through memory lane. Oh, so perhaps, it's so fun you know, to do stuff. I even do that with derbies, right? Like the week before the derby, go back and watch. I did that with Arlington Million this year. I remember I went back and watched a bunch of the millions. My favorite one is uh, Debussy in 2010. Gio Ponti makes the lead at the eighth pole, is pulling away, and Debussy's like seven lengths behind on the rail. There's no way this horse is going to win. If you watch horse racing, you're like, that horse is not going to come catch Gio Ponti, and yet somehow it does. I mean, that's the best part, right? When you think there's no chance yeah. at all. And Even though you know come. the result. <laughs> you know what's going to happen, but uh-huh. yet you still need to watch it again, and it's still nearly just as good, right? It's still yeah. it just... I think I think that's the best part of horse racing. You might already know the outcome, but you still want to see what happens. You still want to see how it happened. How did they make up the ground? What did they have to overcome? How did they do it? I mean, to be honest, I still think Arrogate's Dubai World Cup in 2017 is still incredible to watch as well. That was just, you know, sheer showcase of, of power and talent and yeah, no, I, I, I definitely feel like there's something to be said for knowing the result, but still wanting to watch the races. Like, Jason, I feel like I've taken up, you know, about an hour and a half of your life already. It's been a very pleasurable one. I, I definitely didn't Good. know about those didn't know about the conspiracy theories i feel like i've learned something here this is good we need to do a couple more have you got you got to come up with a list for me for next time well you, you told me you still had questions uh questions to go so we'll, we'll hold them over actually until, uh... well i still have a couple more questions we, Depends can, on how we can do ra- we can rapid fire we can do rapid fire okay okay we do real quick rapid fire yeah. here if you could only choose one meal to eat for the rest of your life which one would it be barbecue I like these ribs questions barbecue ribs barbecue ribs yeah but like for I, breakfast too well you said one meal yeah yeah but like you'd have to deal with that for like breakfast lunch and oh. dinner That'd yeah be hard, i think right? still would though i love i just i love barbecue so i would go with that see i was gonna go with cereal i feel like you can eat cereal for dinner and you can eat it for breakfast too <laughs> you know what's really, <laughs> you know what's hilarious about that i had cereal for dinner tonight i got home i i had 
I, I made a manicotti for uh, dinner last night for Thanksgiving dinner by myself. And I had some leftover of that and I was going to make some uh, Italian sausage with it, but I only had like one manicotti. So it was not like a meat full meal. And the sausage I'd bought at the store, somehow the wrapping got ripped. And so it was exposed and, you know, it's been in the fridge for a few days. So it's just not good. So I was like, oh crap. And so I just, I literally just had a bowl of cereal for dinner. Raisin bran. Shout out Raisin bran. I mean, I really like cereal. I just feel it's a very flexible dinner option. Yeah. So when I thought about that, I was like, that seems to be the one that you might not completely get sick of after five or 10 years of eating them every single day. Okay. Mm-hmm. In vain with the food theme, ideal dinner guest, if you have to like pick, I don't know, three, four. Uh, alive, dead, or, or both? Anything. Or not. Oh, okay. All of it. All no of rules. It. Uh, I would love to, I mentioned his name earlier, Gary Henson, the old Long Acres announcer, I would love to talk to. I just, he was like the voice of my childhood. Uh, to, along those lines, Dave Niehaus, who was the Mariners announcer, I would I would love to talk with him. I love baseball. Um, I would like to talk with, I've gotten very into watches, so I would love to talk to, um, I think the guy's named Ben Clymer at Hodinkee. I, I think he's got a lot of interesting takes on watches. So I would like to talk to him. Um, who else would I like to talk to? I've always been a big Stevie Nicks fan. I think she'd be fun to talk to. Wow. Those are, those are really good <laughs> options. I'm yeah. sitting here like, thankfully nobody's asking me this because I wouldn't sound it. I wouldn't have that many intriguing guests. That's amazing. We didn't even get to the whole watch collection. Maybe we'll save that for next time. Yeah. 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 Have another I, I, it's all, it's all I watch now on YouTube. Like all I do is sit and watch, watch repair videos. Really? Like, yeah, it's gotten it's gotten a little out of hand to be honest. Like I, I'm pondering ordering like a watch repair kit just so I could take them apart and learn to like put them together. Like that's that's where I'm at. I in mean, my they're watch amazing machines. It's 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 crazy. So, it's it's literally like an mm-hmm. entire machine that is on your wrist with like 200 years of history behind it. Or more. See, I wouldn't that. I wouldn't want to touch that and open it up. I'd probably ruin it. Well, I think you, I think the the plan is to buy like you know old cheapies and kind of. You know, twiddle take about them with apart. Them. Yeah, exactly. You know, something off eBay for twenty bucks, kind of thing. Okay, uh, quick more questions because I still I yep. still had a couple ones and I, I kind of like them. Who do you look up to as a race scholar? Who would you mirror? I think my style is is kind of ideally closest to Dave Rodman's. Um, I, I th- we're both very fast. Um, I try to get a lot of information out as much as I can. Uh, I think I sometimes go too fast, um, but I, I like that style of just. I just want to tell people as much info as I can and I'll worry about clever lines or stuff like that some other time. Cause I, I don't think, I think there's like one thing I love about Dave is he'll sprinkle in humor, but very sporadically. And so when he does it punches, right? Like it, it actually, mm-hmm. it, it sticks with you. And, uh, and I think he rises to the occasion, big moments, which I don't know that I do, but I hopefully someday, um, yeah, he he's uh he's definitely I mean there's a lot of guys that do a really good job. He's just always one that strikes me as just being so professional and talented and, and a really good guy. I got to hang out with him actually for the first time this year at uh, Pimico. You were on vacation, um, I believe. Wait, what <laughs> was this? This would have been Never. When, <laughs> this would have been when Colonial was going on. It was at Pimlico because they had the extended Pimlico uh in the spring because I went up for a uh, an Orioles game and a day at Pimlico and Dave had to do the uh, pre-race show because he said you were on vacation. <laughs> hold on i don't go away that often i, mean, I think you went, went to saratoga, saratoga. yes that's, that's i was about to say i went to saratoga yeah. for one week yeah, <laughs> i well, wanted to go to saratoga that, that, that was what that was what i went to Pimlico. but we went to the uh the washington tavern is that what it's called yes yeah yeah, yeah. We, went, we went there afterwards and then i went to the orioles game after but uh, it was great I, I get to hang out with dave for most of the day and he's uh 
He's a cool dude. I like the Washington Tavern. Actually, sometimes when the traffic used to get really bad because I live down south of Washington, D.C. Yeah. So if the traffic from Pimlico drive down was that bad that it would take me two hours or more, which it would sometimes, instead of going straight home... Uh, yeah, yeah. That, was, that was no. That I love Pimlico, but the drive was definitely quite far. So instead of going home, I would go to Washington Tavern and just like order a side of fries and sit yeah. there and chat with random people because I thought that was a better way of spending my time than being stuck in traffic. So yeah, I love that place. I, I was I was I was all excited to get a crab cake, right? Like oh, I'm in Baltimore, <laughs> and the lady goes, "They're thirty dollars or something <laughs> crazy like that." And I go, uh, "Let's just have a salad and a sandwich, thank you." Oh, yeah. I, I, I can't recommend you the, the crab caves or anything because I don't eat them because I'm a vegetarian, yeah. like no fish, no no meat kind of thing. Mm-hmm. So I wouldn't know. But everyone says they're really good. So we're going oh, to I'm sure they it. were for $30. Everyone's word for it. <laughs> oh, wow. Yeah. Maybe it's, you know what? It's cheap also being vegetarian. Just if you need anyone selling you on this. <laughs> I've been doing good. I, I'll tell you what. I, I've been a very slow, long weight loss. And I'm coming up on a big marker here in about ten pounds. So I'm. It's oh really? A, but I but I I know I I do not have the willpower to like hardcore diet. And all I did was I started walking a lot more. And this all started kind of when the anxiety stuff started to turn around. By the way, uh, but with walking a lot more and just eating a little bit better, and and it's been a nice slow chip away. So it's still a ways to go, but uh, but because I I just don't have the discipline to do like the hardcore diet. I also diet. don't think it's feasible to continue that forever. That, that's kind of that's kind of my ones. yeah. That's kind of my plan. I, I I think so much of food is just habit, though. Mm. Like I think we just I think once you formulate better habits, it becomes so much easier. Because I just had terrible habits, and traveling does not. And you know, I mean, my life is very much, you know, not at a home base, and so uh, that that made it harder. But like especially down here, like I I got a nice apartment. It's all furnished. I got everything I need, cookware and stuff. But like Colonial, you know, Airbnb, and it's like it's just. You end up eating out all the time. Yeah, you got to definitely. Be, I mean, I'm kind of a sucker for carrying protein bar, protein bars around because yeah. I really dislike being super, super hungry. So I'm always kind of like, well, I'll just eat a protein bar, and that will save me yep. from getting fries because fries are my favorite food, and then I just want to get them everywhere. So that that's my trick. So before before I leave you, yep. at the beginning when we were off air, we were only talking for about ten minutes before we even started. I always have to stop myself from doing that because you end up talking about everything you were saying was it 1500 shows you've done how many podcast shows have you done because that number was quite up there i could look this up here but it might take just a second but we are oh here i can oh no i can't um we did we're on like number 580 since we moved over to twin spires and we did 950 at bed america it's the same show in the same company it's just they I got traded to Twin Spires because Bet America became more sports oriented. And Bet America is actually, I think, gone mostly now. But um, yeah, so so it's I think that's 15, over fifteen hundred thirty or something. I mean, it's it's a great because we do I do five shows a week and we've been doing it since uh, the beginning of twenty sixteen. That's in, an incredible number of shows. I can't even imagine how much work must have gone into that. I was going to go and ask you something silly like, um, you know, what was your favorite show? But if you've done about 1,500, I don't really think that's relevant any longer unless you interviewed someone that you thought was, you know, the bee's knees, the top superstar that you never thought you could get on. 
cute. Go. Eh, it, go. It's funny because the a lot of times with interviews, it's not the ones you're expecting that are that end up kind of being the most fun. So I, 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 it's hard to rank any of those. I mean, we, we certainly have the ones that do the best for us are the ones with the serious horse players. You know, people really I think are craving that content, and those the numbers on those shows always uh, exceed. You know, even a big name jockey or trainer, just because I, I think there's a lot of content already with those folks. So. Um, but I don't know. I just, it, it's, to me, it's just so neat to get to talk to people and hear their stories. And I, th- I remember thinking after the first few months, I'm like, God, what if we run out of guests? <laughs> Here we are all these years later. And I still literally have a list of like 30 people that I, you know, have right now that I, I want to get, I mean, like recently, you know, we talked to this guy, Dennis Montoro, who was a top three finisher in the BCBC, uh, Sabrina Moore, we had on the Knicks goes breeder who's from your guys neck of the woods. Uh, you know, just hearing everybody's story is just such a neat thing. And there's just racing is just endless amount of stories. I agree. Yeah. I had Sabrina Moore on as well. She is absolutely terrific and i've been to green mound farm too and saw some of uh mm-hmm. nick's ghost siblings that still live out in that neck of the woods so yeah terrific you know person to be around she's you know so much success and does such a good job so couldn't be more full of praise for her and what she does and also you know what the attention that her well the host that she co-bred with her mom angie moore brought to the maryland breads i mean nick's go aloha west as well breeders cup classic and British Cup sprint winner. It was quite the uh, quite the day for the mid-Atlantic uh, bred thoroughbreds, kind of flying the flag there. So yeah, no, I, I'm glad that you got the chance to have her tell her story because I agree. Horse racing is all about where did someone come from or where did a horse come from or how did, you know, how did things come together to create the moment that we find ourselves in right now? And Jason, thank you so much for, for joining me. I feel like we probably could go on for another two hours, but I do know that both of us, you know, have a job to do tomorrow morning. So perhaps yeah, uh, we, we'll we wrap it races. up. We got 10 races at Tampa tomorrow. Nine, nine, uh, nine at Laura, but we've got three stakes events though. Oh, nice. Yeah. You, that guys, you guys, you guys do cluster them, right? Like that's kind of a general thing. Like you'll have a lot of big, like four or five stake race days. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Yeah. We, we do like a couple during the day. So we had the politely stakes uh, today and then, um, uh, later on, is, well, we got the what is it? City of Laurel, safely kept. Trying to hear top of my head here, safely kept. That was the three-year-old Philly Street Lutes in that, which is super exciting. Oh, nice. She's back in there, Malibu Beauty. That was the race that Princess Coco Chin was also cross-entered in, but she obviously ended up running in the politely and winning it. And then the Richard W. Small, Dicky Small, yeah, yeah, yeah. That's the final uh, stakes race on the card tomorrow. And then today, the the last stakes race was the Howard and Sunder Bender Memorial, where she told me to go one. Brittany Russell and JV and Toledo. So it's a lot of fun. Like we have a lot of good races coming up and it's, it's, you know, you definitely, these type of horses, especially some of the older horses, you do see them back, you know, return month after month after month. And you see the the connections and the trainers and, and I like that. Like you get to follow them and uh, yeah. So big day today. So I'm sure I uh, should probably wrap this up and get some beauty sleep or something uh, to the extent of that. Jason, thank you so much. It was really my pleasure to have a chat with you and, and thank you for, for sharing you know, your experience and your knowledge. Of course. Thank you for having me on. I really appreciate the invite. I don't believe I have anything to add here. It was honestly a lot of fun and very informative having a chat with Jason and also definitely 
enjoy listening to him recount his experiences in overcoming anxiety and how he currently handles it. No, he's been candid about that before, but I think we can't talk about it enough. Aside from that, I kind of enjoyed a trip down memory lane when it comes to all these uh, terrific races and thoroughbreds that we've had the chance to follow and fall in love with. And look, if you have any other good horse racing conspiracy theories, I'd actually love to know them. I wouldn't mind doing a bit of a, a crime junkie horse racing podcast. It would be a lot of fun, wouldn't it? Trying to figure out what really happened to some of these really old, sort of older stories. Uh, so yes, if you have any good ideas, please don't hesitate to contact me. Uh, aside from that, what's new? Well, we've got the stakes races coming up tomorrow. This podcast will drop on the same day, on the Saturday. And then on Sunday, it's my birthday. So yes, I expect a little cake and a candle. I want all of that. I enjoy that, as most people do. And yeah, I get to celebrate that I'm one year older and wiser. Maybe not that much wiser. Hope so. Plenty of new experience uh, that I've added. And a couple of things I ticked off my bucket list, including the, the balloon fiesta in New Mexico. So that was a lot of fun. And hopefully, that is the plan for Christmas. I uh, get the chance to go back to the Netherlands again after a nearly two years absence due to uh, the travel restrictions. So fingers crossed that I can continue and go over there. So uh, I think that's a... Uh, as much as it kind of for housekeeping and uh, hopefully catch you guys all uh, next week and perhaps if you come to Laurel Park as well I hope you have a wonderful time we definitely have a lot of stakes action coming your way December the 4th as well and look you guys all missed out we had a big pie giveaway on Thanksgiving day I walked away with two different pies still working on those pumpkin and apple they taste amazing I'm so full I had two pieces already yeah, I like this trend tradition. This is wonderful. I think every track should do this. So if anyone's in track management, any of the other tracks, if you're listening, great idea. Keep it up. All right, guys. I'll uh, chat to you all next week. And uh, thank you so much for tuning in once again. And don't forget to vote for In The Money Media for the best podcast in the America's Best Racing Award Fan Choice Awards coming up so yeah check that out guys support the inner money media network i've said it before love being part of this team diverse content top class content you learn something every show that you listen to you stay up to date and also just a lot of fun like this is what you want to listen to when you're working out or in the car driving to relax to relax and, and, and hear about you know any of these racing tales that we all love so much. So yeah, kudos to the entire team. Of course, uh, Jonathan Kinchin, Peter Thomas Fontel, Drew Courtney, all of them, they so much deserve it. So do go to uh, the ABR website and make sure to cast your vote. We're counting on you guys. All right, see you next week.